The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Of how much force can you use to neutralize uh, someone who's attacking you? Because people are complaining that the, the people in Israel... For this, I will stop the class. Stand up here. Hi, Lydia. Rabbi, come on. Let's move along. Okay. So, um, it's a big occasion. So, um, anyway, the question is, so how much force, but as you, I don't know if you've seen, even there's been a UN resolution complaining about Israel is using too much force to stop um, the attacks that are going on, and they're killing the stabbers when they don't really have to kill them. I just want to show you some videos and then we're going to discuss that from a, not a legal point of view necessarily, but from the halakhic point of view. Um, so video number one, again, um, I, I'm sorry if it wins your appetite. And we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, you can eat. This one has no sound. This is a, it's a grainy video. It's of the, there was a car attack. This occurred like a, two weeks ago. Someone rammed the bus stop, um, an Arab. And then afterwards he got out of the car and starts hacking the people. What's amazing you'll see is after they shoot him, he still gets up, tries again. Three times he gets up after, I don't know what kind of gun the guy was using. Obviously not a very good one. Or I've seen this too many times. I've seen it too. Not right. See this question is, in, in most uh, Western law, the, in most Western countries, the law is that if you, um, if someone is a danger to someone, so you, you, you can shoot him and aim to kill, but let's say once you've taken five shots and the guy, person is on the floor, if you take that sixth shot, um, in, uh, then it's a problem, meaning they technically can um, they, that's excessive force, meaning if you shoot more than necessary, and you can be um, you can be tried for that, you can be indicted. So, um, question is, so I want to look at it from the halachic perspective, as I mentioned, and the as we discussed here in the past, there's a concept known as rodent. Jewish law, which that's a very clear, um, it's a biblical, it's a verse in the Torah, which rodef literally means, the word rodef means a pursuer. Um, the Torah it says very clearly, if someone is pursuing someone else, so even you as an innocent bystander, you're not affected by it, you see someone chasing someone down the street with a knife or a gun, you can shoot the pursuer. You can, uh, well, it doesn't say, the Torah doesn't talk about shooting, but you can kill the pursuer. Um, it's based on the verse, Torah is actually discussing um, the cases, what's called machteret. They have the verses here. It says if, the, if someone in those days you'd have moats around your house, so someone it says is tunneling into your home, okay, which is very similar to the Texas uh, uh, Castle Doctrine Law. You got it from the Torah, of course. So it says if someone's tunneling into your home and uh, you, you can kill them, even before you don't even know they're armed. If you hear someone tunneling into your home in the middle of the night, Says the Torah, that's why I quoted here. If the thief is discovered while tun tunneling in, and he is struck and dies, says the Torah, there is no blood guilt on his account. Okay, um, if the sun shone upon him, there is blood guilt on his account. That means if you saw, it was during the day, um, um, let's say where you knew the person was unarmed, or a case like that where you knew there was no, he couldn't harm you. In that situation, then you, of course you would be guilty. But assuming you don't know what the situation is, someone is tunneling in in the middle of the night. 
the Torah said you can assume that they're armed, and we'll explain that actually in number three, Rashi, who's the commentary in the Talmud, explains and the reason behind it is because um, it's, it's human psychology. Um, human psychology is that people protect their belongings, things that belong to them, with their life. Okay? Um, it's stupid. It's actually, it doesn't make sense, but it's not rational. But people will actually risk their life to protect their their home, their car, whatever it is. As I, as I think I've mentioned here in the past, I've had a, I've I can attest to that in a personal note. Um, I was once carjacked out here in Houston, in, in uh, New York City, um, where, stupidly enough, I resisted. Um, and it wasn't even my car. I mean, they wanted the car. All they wanted was the car. Um, and I, they asked me for the keys. I refused to give it to them. Um, it was three guys, a lot bigger than me. And, uh, and, I, and then I started running. Uh, when I got out of the car, I started running without giving them the keys. And then they chased me to... Uh, Unfortunately, it was a cul-de-sac I was running into. <laughs> so they eventually uh, got Rabbi, me. Did you think you would hold up the Old Testament and that would? would <laughs> As I'm saying, <laughs> it's not rational. I don't know what I was thinking. It wasn't even. It was a car. It was a rented car. It wasn't even my car. So like, there's no reason I shouldn't have gave him the keys. But it's. I think it's human nature, is to resist. Um, indignation. Somebody's violating. I don't know if that's what it is. I, I'm not sure. I don't know what I was thinking. It was whatever it was. It wasn't rational. What? So it's either human nature or stupidity. Yes. There's a, there's a fine line between us. Yeah, I think there is. Um, but the point is, so so, the, so that's human nature. I mean, by the end of the story was that I didn't actually see a gun. I saw something shiny in their hand. But then when they got to me, I saw the gun. And uh, at that point, I did give them the keys. <laughs> and my wallet. Um, uh, and what's even stupider, I chased them afterwards. But I won't get into all the details. Um, <laughs> The uh, the bottom line is so it's, so it's irrational. People but people do risk their life. That's the famous Henny Youngman line: "Add your money, your life." Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, right? So people risk their lives for their money. Um, not smart, but that's that's the bottom line. Um, so therefore, the Torah understands it. The Torah understands human psychology. Says, explains Rashi. Therefore, the assumption is the the thief knows that. That means if someone's breaking to your home in the middle of the night, especially in Texas, he knows there's a good chance you're armed. And therefore, the assumption is he's going he's gonna to fight back, meaning the homeowner is going to fight, protect himself, protect his, his, his belongings. Therefore, the thief knows that the assumption is he also is armed. You can assume that, and that is the law in Texas also. And therefore, you, even if you don't know he's armed, you can shoot him. Um, because, again, it's, it's sort of reverse psychology. The assumption, he knows that you will probably protect your home with, um, and kill him. Therefore, he's, the assumption is he's going to kill you, and you can kill him first. Okay, does that make sense? You I got think, that I order? think the castle doctrine in Texas is derived probably from that, but slightly different in that mm -hmm. you can, you're not necessarily doing a reverse psychology. I don't know what, you know, I think the thought there is that you don't know what this person's going to do in your home, and it's likely that it's going to cause harm to you, yeah. not necessarily protecting your belongings, you're going to fight to oh, defend 100%. them. Oh, 100%. So the Torah is the same thing. That's what we're saying. Here, let's read it. Look at the last paragraph. It's exactly the same point. Right? It's a good point. It's good you bring that up. Because the point is, you're not allowed to kill someone to protect your belongings. That's right. prohibited. I'm assuming the same as, I don't know about the Texas law. But that's in the Torah. You can't kill someone to save your belongings. Um, life is never more important than your belongings. What it is, is um, you can, you because the assumption is he might kill you, exactly like you're saying, therefore you can kill him first. But it's only because you're protecting your own life that you're allowed right. to do it. For your belongings, you wouldn't be allowed to kill someone. If you look at the quote number three here, that's what it says. It says, here the Torah teaches you the rule, which says, if one comes with the intention of killing you, be quick and kill him. In Hebrew, the term is, someone's coming to kill you, you, you have to be quick and kill him first. Uh, it's called self-defense. And this burglar, says Rashi, this burglar actually came with the intention of killing you for, his, for he knew full well that no one can hold himself in check looking on while people are stealing his property for his eyes and doing nothing. So therefore he, the thief, therefore obviously came with the purpose in view that in case the owner of the property would resist him, he would kill him. So again, it's not to protect your belongings, it's to protect your life. Um, so that's a very good point that Kenny's bringing up, which is that, that again, to save your belongings, you, couldn't, you can never shoot someone never kill someone. It's only to save the, the assumption is, and the Torah is saying, you can make that assumption that he might kill you and therefore you 
need to kill him first. Um, now, now this is when it's your own life, so that's for your own protection. That's what this constant. Now, there's two, as we mentioned, um, there's really two things. There's something called rode, which means a pursuer. We mean where your life is not threatened. Someone else is chasing someone down the street with a gun or knife, and you see that person chasing. Your life is not in, in danger in any which way. Either you're a security guard or you're just an innocent bystander, but you still, this Torah still allows you to save the victim's life. There's actually two ways of looking at it. Um, the commentaries discuss it's either the goal is to save the victim from being killed, or it's actually to save the murderer from committing a murder. So you're killing him, which is another perspective. Uh, you're taking his life in order that he should not commit the sin of murder. Okay? But either way, whichever way you look at it, the point is the Torah says you're allowed, even if your life is not in danger, you're still allowed to shoot or kill the pursuer. Okay, now the question is only, still please, um, so, the, the, so let's, the two, what I want to get to is the question is, let's say you can stop the pursuer or, or defend yourself just by shooting at the guy's kneecaps, shooting at his legs, and neutralizing him in that manner. Um, do, am I obligated to do that, or can I still aim for that? Okay, that's a major question, which is, again, going on in Israel now. Um, it's not really going on in Israel, it's going on in the rest of the world, who are complaining about Israel. The media, and including the UN, who, who people, they're trying to pass a re resolution saying that Israel is using what's called excessive force, even though they're being attacked, but they're using excessive force to, to stop the attackers. So they can just shoot them in the legs. Why do they have to aim for the head? Okay, well, why do they have to take five, you know, six shots, when they can only take five shots? Okay, so that, that's the question. So first of all, there's an opinion, I just quoted an opinion here, um, which I saw in the newspaper, from a Rabbi David Stav, a rabbi in Israel, who actually, he was one of the candidates for chief rabbi, he lost, didn't win this past election. But he, he says, he in an article he writes, killing the stabber has been neutralized. So this is a different question, meaning once the stabber, let's say in this case, I didn't show you the video, maybe I will show it to you, which, um, which is a case where the guy's down on the floor, then you have people coming with a gun, they just want to kill him only because he stabbed two people or because he's a terrorist. Um, so do they have a right to do that? So um, this is the case that he's discussing. I'll show you the video now, now that you've eaten. Um, this is another video, this was I believe also in Afula. Uh, Another case where they, again, they have the guy on the ground. Thank <laughs> you. 
Anyway, so you get the point. So, so this case, yeah. I'm sorry, but I, I don't agree with that. You know, I, I think um, it's not only Jews would do that. You know, we have laws in this country too that protect people that are charged with crimes, and that's the difference between having a lawful and a lawless society. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to strike him myself, but you know, the United States is a great example. We do have protections and safeguards where. You know, people are innocent until proven guilty. No, here, no, this is not true. Middle East. I didn't mean to compare it with America. Well, but but you said Jews, and so no, no, I mean, not I, 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 you know, I, I think, you know, we we oftentimes suffer from a view that you know we have the moral high ground everywhere, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. So, so we're, we're human I, beings like everyone else. I agree somewhat with David, but let's see. This rabbi agrees with you. Let's look what uh, this rabbi says. He says, uh, number two here, page two, number two, he says, Rabbi David Staff, killing a stabber has been neutralized as a moral breakdown. People who are not involved in murderous activities and those who no longer pose a danger must not be harmed. These days, when the boiling blood is mixed with civilian willingness and resourcefulness, it's important to maintain our moral superiority to avoid harming a person who is uninvolved in murderous activity and to avoid harming those who have already been neutralized and no longer pose a danger. They deserve to die, but this is not our way. Harming a terrorist who has been neutralized causes double damage. The collateral damage is when these images are distributed and the main damage is harming our moral norms. We will not stoop down to our enemies' despicableness. We will not contaminate ourselves with a moral breakdown. That's his view. I'm not uh, saying I agree with it per se, but this is an article he wrote. So uh, the question is really, um, I'm going to talk about that at the end, meaning the situation, just like you saw in the first video, even after they shot him, the guy got up again. So, I mean, just because the guy is being held on the ground doesn't mean, like she's saying a story, where it, the guy could uh, potentially still pose a danger. Um, a lot of these people, from what I've read, is the terrorists, the reason, let's say, that guy uh, who's kept on getting up after five, six shots, is they supposedly they, they take drugs before they go on these attacks, mm -hmm. where they, you know, they, they're on drugs. Well, the one with an axe, you saw that? I mean, right, so I'm saying, so, so you don't know, I mean, just because you, you have three people sitting on him doesn't mean he's not a danger, so, I, I, yeah. I wasn't yeah. speaking, you know, the, the, the specific instance can always be, right. I, I'm talking to the, to the right. more general, yes. global statement of... So, so, I, so, so, in a certain sense, I agree, but I'm going to get to the other aspect, which, by the way, there is an issue even of treating terrorists, meaning do, should we be treating these people in hospital? That's, a sec that's really a separate question, which if we have time, maybe we can address that, because it's not, uh, I mean, why, why should we be treating them? Send them to their to hospital in Gaza and let them treat them in Gaza. Um, and see how they turn out, which is that whole story would happen with that 13-year-old boy um, where they were treating him in the hospital and they claimed that he was executed. And then they showed the video of he's being treated in the hospital. Which, by the way, and it's, it, what, what is crazy, and this is, this is only Jewish doctors, is that the, the interviewed doctors in Hadassah, or, or, and even medics, come upon the scene of a terrorist attack, and they said that if there's a terrorist and a victim, the terrorist needs more, it's triage, needs more quicker care than the victim, they would treat the terrorist first. Okay? Which I think is ludicrous, that's, but that is what they, they interviewed the number of medics. And ethically, that's I, in the law of ethics, you have to treat every life equally, terrorist or victim. You don't treat them differently. Um, which, which clearly, I don't think that's the Jewish way. So, but that's yes, I'm not ready to try to convince the world that we have, in a, we are moral, just like David said, we're like everybody else. And But in Amidah, we say every Shabbat, you have to frustrate the plans of the enemy who tries to destroy you. These people did not come to have an interfaith exchange. They came to kill. They came to kill, and I don't think we should be sparing bullets on their kneecaps and then try to fix them when a lot of Israelis don't have any medical uh, support. That's, that's also just impractical from a, from a self-defense standpoint. I mean, if you learn how to use weapons, they never ever teach you to shoot a kneecap. It's, it's an exactly. impossible shot. Exactly. You shoot for the body mass. And the point is to just neutralize the target. So it's just not—it's it, not practical to shoot for a kneecap. And the point is, when you raise your weapon, it is to use it with deadly force. Precisely. 
so there's no such thing as shooting to Hollywood says there is, but other Oh, so there, it is required technically this concept, and especially <coughs> what's going on now with police brutality. There is a concept that says you should aim to wound as opposed to aim to kill. But uh, many of the what I've seen on the research for the class, all the police unions are against it to say it's. That's it. That doesn't work. We're talking about the Thank real you. situation where in Israel they're coming to kill. Right. Oh, but, both. But, but both, because if you're using a, a weapon, <clears throat> I don't think anybody who is trained to use them thinks that you could possibly shoot to wound. And so in those instances, there are other less lethal mechanisms, which are, you know, the taser and the shocking and this other stuff. But again, those aren't. Those aren't lethal, and those are to be used in the event that it's not, uh, you're not in imminent fear of your life. But I think, I think you're uh, taking this down the road of what do the Israelis do? So, and that immediately converts it into a highly politicized, we're right, they're wrong. You know, if America's on the battlefield in Cambodia, we could all agree or disagree, but we were treating Cambodians when we shot them. And, you know, what were, so I don't think this, this may speak to the particulars of what's happening in Israel, but I believe your, your message here is about the broader, uh, maybe I'm wrong, yes, is no, well, what's the broader block of view Yes, to well, all these both aspects. Well, first of all, you mix. There's two things. There's two right. separate issues. One is shoot to kill, and the other one is treating. Should we treating them after, after we shoot them, or or after whatever the case but is? I, That's a separate. I, 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 you know, I'm not trying to take, take a, an argumentative viewpoint. I'm happily willing to stipulate that people coming to kill you are coming to kill you. And if you shoot them in the elbow, they're going to keep coming until you kill them. Right. So the I, question just, is, so I'm if there's a way to neutralize, so I listen. From what I've read, I agree with Kenny. It's very hard. You can't aim when you're aiming to stop someone to neutralize someone. You have to aim at the torso. But there's still there's aiming at the torso. There's aiming at the head. There's there's still different ways. The Ram. So I want to show you the Rambam does say explicitly if you turn yeah, if you turn to the back back page back page on top. So the, so um, it's actually the Gemara says it. The Talmud says it in when it's discussing the case of Rhoda. And it says like this, it says, anyone who is able to rescue a threatened, this is a quote from Maimonides in the Laws of Murder, it says anyone who is able to rescue a threatened person by injuring one of the limbs of the pursuer, by the way, before they had guns, okay, and he unnecessarily kills him, he is guilty of murder, but he is not liable to court execution. That's what Maimonides says. So he says very clearly, and it's taken from the Talmud, which is that if you're able to kill, again, this is the case of pursuer, so you're an innocent bystander, someone's chasing someone with a knife, and you can trip the guy, okay? You could put a banana peel down on the floor and trip him, and, and then he won't kill the guy. And you go ahead and, and shoot him. So in that case, says Maimonides, you're tried for murder. You're not executed, meaning even though it's a capital crime, we don't execute you for whatever reason. He understands it to mean it's what's called misa that the courts can't execute the person. But he says it's murder. You're considered a murder. means even though the guy was a pursuer, but if there was a way to neutralize him without killing him, he says, my man, you're obligated to do that. Now again, in the scenario where you're, where you're using a gun, it could be that's very hard, and then it would be a moot question. But he's saying, let's say, like we're saying, you can throw a banana peel. In those days, the guys chase him with, a, with an axe, and you well, can uh, like you know, trip him. Well, you're you just making a comedy out of it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just trying to put it, you know, we think of shooting. So shooting is very hard to differentiate, as Kenny's saying, I mean, would you between how you shoot someone. Pills, uh, would you I, I'm just using that as a shooting case. Not a gun. Not a gun. I'm not saying today. I'm putting it in the context of the time. My mind is in times of the Talmud, so they didn't have guns. So the question is, how I could tackle the guy? No. Okay, but the guy's chasing him to, to to strangle him. So now I could just tackle him. I don't have to, you know, shoot him with a bow and arrow. Okay. Even then, all right, let's say bow and arrow. All right. You see somebody chasing somebody else. To, to kill him, all right. So now you're you're seeing him going down the street. You're in your house. What are you going to grab first? The baseball bat, so you can only neutralize him, or any, or to just wound him to maybe stop him. What do you see? What's the case? For, or the bow and arrow first? What's the case? Shoot him first. What's the case? I didn't hear. You're seeing somebody being pursued. What's he being pursued with? 
Does the guy have a weapon? Does the pursuer have a... Does it yes. matter? Yes, it does, because you know, the point is you can't hit someone with a baseball bat who has a gun. That's if not going to work. the guy's so fast, he's going to catch that guy and strangle him before I can get to him to tackle him. Oh, or, so then of course you can kill him. What we're saying is, if there's, all my money is saying, if there's you know, a way to, to neutralize him without killing him, you're obligated to do that. But Obviously, okay. in the heat of the moment, also, it's going to mitigate I mean, the situation. You run into your house and grab the thing you think is going to be the quickest thing to stop him. And most likely, that's going to be the gun, not the baseball bat. No matter so what then, the situation is. And you might have a right to do that. If the only way, if you think there's a time issue, you need to stop him quickly, so then you're right. And we're not saying you have to go and try to find, you know, go buy a taser, go to Walmart, buy a taser and, get, and then start chasing. Of course, you need to do what you have to do in the heat of the moment. What we're saying is, assuming you can make a decision. All things being equal. Right, all things being equal. I could, you know, just tackle him. He has no, let's say he has no weapon. He wants to strangle the guy with his bare hands. And I'm bigger than him, I can tackle him. So what it's saying is then you can't shoot him in that, that situation. You need to tackle him. That's all my mind is saying. Is it realistic in the, in the moment? And, and it could be right. With guns, it might be a moot issue. Because I don't know if you can, you know, figure out the difference between where you shoot him or, you know, is it uh, to aim for his feet? There's a big, much bigger chance of missing and not neutralizing. So then you'd be obligated to, to aim. You know, you got to do whatever you can to stop this murderer from doing his, to, from committing an act of murder. Whatever that entails. What it's saying is, if you have a choice of using force, excessive force or not, then choose, and you don't have to murder him, then you're obligated to do that in that, that might, case. Um, my question is, how do we know the intent of somebody chasing somebody else. Are we to assume that that pursuit is for the intense purpose of killing somebody? Well, it depends. So but if he's chasing him with a gun, screaming, well, we I'm going to kill him. Let's say we don't see a weapon. Yeah, if you just see someone chasing someone down the street, I mean, that's then you, I don't know if you can kill him. Maybe Texas you might be able to, but I'm saying halakhically, um, I don't know. I don't think you can. You have to. You have to know that it's a case of where he wants to kill him. Either the guy screaming, I'm going to kill you, or you see the weapon in his hand, or like in Israel. These days, you, you, I mean, even if you see someone with a screwdriver, so his intent is to kill. So you see a weapon... I'm well, not saying that. No, I'm saying if he's screaming, I'm going to kill you. If he's, even if he's, he could use his bare hands. So if there's any... Even, when, you, when it comes to life, you don't play around. So even if there's a 10% or even a 5% chance this guy is armed and he's going to kill him, then you have a right to kill him. Um, but what we're saying is if you're 100% sure you could neutralize him in a different manner without killing him, says my man, you're obligated to do it. Okay, now, again, so I, we'll, get, we'll get to Israel today. We're not, I'm just telling you what my man says, is, as he codifies it as law. The question is, there's two issues. One is, even in those times, the, many of the commentaries discuss, this is only applicable if you are the innocent bystander, meaning you're a security guard, or you're, you know, and you're as opposed to the victim. The victim, um, says says some of the commentaries, and I quote here in number A, it's only in the case of Rodif, but not to the victim. Meaning the victim doesn't have to make that decision. The victim could, if the victim himself is being attacked in self-defense, he can shoot to kill immediately. He doesn't have to start figuring out whether, um, you know, can I shoot his kneecaps? Can I, can I t neutralize him in a different way? The assumption is, why? Because the victim is in a situation where he can't start telling him to start thinking about it. So an innocent bystander where his life is not threatened maybe can make a rational decision at that point what, what's the best way of neutralizing this attack he might have some you know brain left to make that but you can't expect a victim to start saying well Allah says I got shoot him in the knees and so therefore although Rashi seems to disagree Rashi in the Talmud says talks about both cases even if you're the victim he seems to imply according to this opinion you still would have to if there's another way to neutralize him, you'd have to neutralize him in another fashion. Okay, by the way, the people, there was a case in Afula, not in Afula, in Beersheba, where they killed an innocent guy. I don't know if you saw that case. <laughs> they thought there were two terrorists. Um, and, they, and people literally killed, they shot another guy, thought was a terrorist, but he really wasn't. And four people were arrested in that case. From the video, they arrested four people who, um, and if they shot him, they, they beat him. They say he died from the gunshots. But they arrested those people who, because they thought they were killing a terrorist, weren't doing it for sport. Um, but but still, they were arrested. I don't know what what will happen in trial. Sense. Huh? Well, they didn't kill a terrorist. There was an innocent person. <laughs> right. But again, so in these, it's clear from a lot of these videos you watch in these split-second cases, it's very hard to. Am I going to take a chance? Listen, he might be a terrorist. So
Familiar with Quantum X, who he is here in this community? Quantum X, yeah. Okay, so uh, with could all not be the, all the police brutality, he was invited to spend 12 hours. Did you see that in his interview? 12 hours with the police on real cases, on training in real cases. And uh, at the end of that uh, training, he said he would have been killed eight times, and from now on, he will never speak about police brutality unless he. I don't believe. It. I believe when I say. But it. in other words, it's on. Uh, he he really experienced that the right. police has to make, as you split said, those split second decisions. And he said, "I thought I was doing the right thing. I would have been dead eight times." And they played the. Cases, he him as a policeman would have been dead. Yes, he would have uh. been dead eight eight times if he. So. I mean, what's going in Israel? Watching those videos where this woman in Hadassah was a, a, a wounded Arab woman, Muslim woman, um, in a suicide attack, brought to Hadassah, uh, healed, and then interviewed, you know, how was she treated so here? She, she do it she again. Cannot, exactly. She said, I, I, and all my sons I will raise as martyrs. <laughs> I, I don't... Right, so we'll get to the treatment part. That's no, the second part. This is excessive too. If you're talking about excessive on this side, there is excessiveness on, on this side. Yeah, but, I'm saying, but that's a whole different ethical question. Of after they neutralized, should we treat them or not? Okay, well, <coughs> get, I'll try to get uh, on, on, on that point. <coughs> it's a similar thing that they have here where people try to commit suicide by, they call it suicide right. by cop, cop right? right? So you charge because this is your last mission and that's what you want and it's the same thing over there where no matter what they're going to take you out now in certain circumstances perhaps it's something that can be resolved via treatment or not and so it seems that if there is an opportunity not to have to use excessive force perhaps in this circumstance you may have a woman who's going to try to do it over and over again but perhaps there may also be an opportunity for the person to be rehabilitated and so that is one of the concepts is to not in that case. To not in, perhaps not in that case, but but maybe right because uh, yeah, you know, so why do you concept. treat the person in Hadassah Hospital as opposed to sending him to Gaza? Well, if you treat him in Hadassah and then you send him to jail, perhaps there's an opportunity to be rehabilitated. Perhaps not. Uh, but are you obligated to try to save a life or no? So it's a good question. The question is, are you obligated to save a life if you know they're going to threaten your life again in the future? Maybe. Or the other issue in which we get to is Israel has a revolving door prison system where at some point it's going to be a prison exchange where they're going to get out. And, and almost, I don't know, so I can't So why do we provide medical care in, in our jails here? Same question, it's a good question. I mean, it's, it's exactly the same. We were talking about people convicted of crimes. Let's leave out the, the misdemeanors and the marijuana, but we have a, Real you know, a group of people that are convicted of, of heinous crimes, yet if they're bleeding, you know, they get medical attention. Well, that's why right, I, I read the Palestinians do not want to go back to Gaza. They prefer the Israeli. Yeah, crime would do. No, but the, but the point is, no, so that's, I'll tell you the difference, David. The maybe difference there is if someone kills someone for their money or for the, you know, there is, a, I'm sure, good aspects of recidivism, whether they call recidivism, or they'll repeat it, right, whether they're going to repeat it. But here, the, this guy's expressly stating his purpose is just to kill Jews. When he gets out, he's saying, I'm going to do it again, very clearly. The guy in prison is not saying, I'm going to go, you know, kill my girlfriend again, because uh, that girlfriend crossed well. him. And that girlfriend <laughs> might be nice. So there's a difference in that, in that aspect. So we have a certain element zero. of, in, yeah, of folks zero. in jail that are uh, frequent flyers, <laughs> gang members, whatever you want to say, that clearly fall, you know, pretty close to the definition of they're going to go back out and and do harm. I gotcha. Oh, uh, okay, so the question is, do, we, should, do we release them? They shouldn't be released in that situation. Well, they may be eligible for parole. They, they served their 27 years. Okay, no, you're right. So that would be that would in be day safe. one and in day 20, year 27, they're eligible for medical treatment. True. All right, so okay, so right, we're mixing the two, two right. ethical dilemmas here. So let's just finish the first one, which is the question of excessive force. So again, so there seems to be two opinions as to whether this rule, of, as Maimonides is saying, um, which is if you're able to neutralize them in a way without taking their life, you're obligated to do that. That applies to the victim too, or only to the um, only to an innocent bystander. Is it considered a murder if it's done in the dark? <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the question. And it's your 
Oh, we're in the, in the Torah. Right. No, as I said, because that's what it says is, let's say, for example, actually, there's exceptions. For example, in that case, let's say it's your father. The Talmud says, let's say your father is tunneling into your home. You're not allowed to shoot him. Why not? Because he's your father. Because it's clear human nature as a father will never will not kill his son. So you know he's not going to kill you. So then you have no right to. T- t- you know, and it's no longer self-defense. Father's tunneling in. He wants to steal the, you know, this the, the, the family gems. Right, okay, so so in that case, you wouldn't be allowed to shoot, says the Talmud, you can't shoot your father. If you see the person is not going to be armed to you, such as your father, you wouldn't be allowed to kill him because the assumption is, by the way, if the son is, if it's the opposite case, son is tunneling in, not the case, uh, but other cases where there's a chance you might kill him, then you're allowed to kill him, but you have to, meaning, it has to be, if it's clear that there's no, there's no harm here, such as it's your father tunneling in. If the father's obviously the assumption is father's not going to shoot his son, then you have no right to shoot him. So that's what it means by day and night. I mean, it has to be where you're unsure of the situation. There's a chance the person will kill you. Good chance. But if you're sure, if it's daylight, and you're sure you know the person, and you know they're not going to kill you, okay, if it's your mother-in-law tunneling in, then you can shoot him. Okay? Right. Um, I don't know your mother-in-law. Get prison. Um, okay, so now the, the, the other question is, interestingly enough, is, is, is it obligatory or not? Meaning, um, do I have to kill him? Am I obligated to kill him? Or can I say, like in like these cases in Israel, could I say, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold him down? Meaning, where we're saying it's permitted to kill him, is that, is the Torah telling you, you have to, you're obligated to do it? The Torah says, the way Rashi quotes, is someone who's coming to kill you, go ahead, not, is it just a permission to kill him, or is it an obligation? Okay. Um, so according to some, they say they bring from the other sources. The Torah seems to say it's obligatory. It's not just you know it's a nice advice. It's good advice. Someone's coming to kill you, kill him first. It's obligatory. You're obligated to save your life. Sort of in a certain sense, it's suicide if you don't. I'm going to say, listen, I'm going to try to neuter the guy's coming with a knife. I'm going to try to tackle him, even though I have a gun on me. So in other places, the Talmud refers to that what's called a chasid shoteh, pious fool. We discussed that another. So you don't be too pious when it comes to people's lives. Um, it's not good to be pious. You're, you're, you might be a pious person. I don't want to take a life, God forbid. But uh, sometimes it's not good to be so pious. What we call a pious fool. So um, the, actually, the example the Talmud discusses is a religious person who, you know, is prohibited to touch a member of the opposite sex, right? In the halacha, so not your wife. Um, so it says some a woman's drowning. So the guy says, "Listen, I can't touch, her. can't save her because." <laughs> can't touch a woman. So the Talmud says, Talmud says that that's called a pious fool. He's an idiot. He's, he's, he's Did you hear it, Dave? A Muslim family was vacationing in Lebanon and his daughter was drowning and the lifeguards went to save her and he forbade him forbade her to save her. She drowned. And you don't listen. Father forbade him to drown. You don't, right? Then you don't listen. But what were, what were they doing there as lifeguards if Anyway, so that's so why they're in position they're in the world is because So the point is so they bring, interestingly enough, they one of the proofs uh, is they bring is there's a story with King David and and Saul, where Saul was chasing David. Um, this is took place in the in Samuel one, where he's chasing David and uh, David um, the case is so he's looking for him in Ein Gedi, which is current contemporary uh, Ein Gedi, if you've ever been there in Israel, and uh, it says Saul went into a cave. David was hiding in a cave. Saul came into the cave, not knowing David was there, to relieve himself, King, where the king goes alone. So he's unarmed, and he's really coming to chase David. He didn't see it. It was a dark, dark cave. And Saul is relieving himself. The king is relieving himself in this cave where David is hiding. And it says David, what he did was, he went and he, he didn't kill him. He could have killed him. Technically, this person was chasing him to kill him. He went and cut the corner off Saul's coat, his robe, and he, later on he said to him and said, "Listen, you, were, I want to make peace. I just want to show you that my intent is not to harm you, because I could have killed you. And here's the corner of your coat." So that's a story that the Tanakh talks about in Samuel one. So they want to bring a proof in there. You see, if it was obligatory um, to to kill him, if someone's a rodef, then David should have killed him. How how was David not allowed to kill him? Okay. David should have been obligated. It's an obligation. David should have get, killed King Saul. So the question is, and this is where it gets to the issue that we're discussing, is 
you always have to look at even in a situation where you might be allowed to do something halachically. The question is the ramifications. Like we're saying, talking about treating a, pay, a terrorist. So halachically, there's clearly no question where we should not be treating terrorists. Um, meaning, meaning, if you have a terrorist who says very clearly he wants to kill Jews again. Actually, I read this three responses before this happened. I'd seen in a in a, a book of responsum where this question was asked. There was a case where actually um, there were three three cases discussed. One was where a terrorist came in and literally they brought him in from prison to a, to a clinic uh, and he was in foot chains and, and the doctor sent the question to the rabbi. He was berated for treating this terrorist by other people in the clinic that saw what's going on. They brought him into it was an outside clinic, not in the prison, and his, he sent the letter to the rabbi, should I have treated him or not? He did treat him. Um, after the case, he was asking the rabbi. The second case was a um, question of, of, it was a child who came, they flew in from Gaza who was having eye surgery in an Israeli hospital. And whatever reason they're treating him, it's actually an organization, by the way, that uh, does this. They pay for free cares for kids from, from um, all Arab countries, but even from Gaza, to have open heart surgery. Kids, kids who are born with babies are born with heart defects. So Israeli doctors, it's an Israeli organization, they raise money and they do surgery on these little babies, Arab, um, Palestinian babies' hearts and for free, okay? And actually, I met a guy here in Houston. He told me, he's the one who told me, but I didn't know about it. He said that a, pro, a friend of his, a doctor in Israel, called him up for a donation. He's a wealthy man. He called him up for a donation to this organization. He said, I hung up the phone on the guy. Why would I pay for that? Ludicrous. So he sent, so I actually I watched the video about it. I, I checked into it because I wanted to see what this organization is about. It's unbelievable. The interview on this video, it was actually a BBC, I think it was a BBC video. Um, actually, sorry, it was Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera did a story on it, believe it or not. You know, trying to show, even though it was Israelis, sort of putting the Israelis in a nice light. Um, but, of course, they say it's, it's, you know, a lot of it's, it's during the violence, during, and it can't be treated in Gaza hospitals because of the Israeli violence, etc. But the bottom line is, so they interviewed women in this video saying that, you know, there's no, that just because the Israelis are so nice to them, like you said, doesn't mean that they don't want their sons to die fighting for, for the Palestinian cause. After this is the, as they're treating him. So there was a case, or one of the cases um, where I read about in this, in this question to the rabbis was um, where they brought a baby, uh, or a baby or a three-year-old, something like that, a toddler, that needed uh, eye surgery. And the, um, as they're wheeling the child to surgery, the mother of the child says in Arabic to someone else that they're, they're so nice, they're fixing my child's eyes so he'd be able to see the Israelis better to throw rocks at them. This is what she says in Arabic as the child being wheeled into the surgery. So the doctor knew Arabic, overheard it, and he refused to do the surgery. He said, I'm not doing the surgery. And another doctor came and did it. Then they sent the question to the rabbi, should they have done, who was, who was correct? Was it the first doctor who refused to do the surgery, or the second doctor? In the same hospital, this took place. What was the, uh, well, well, that's what the rabbi We're not talking about a life-threatening situation. Yeah, Is yeah, I'm just saying, but still, about treating, should we be treating people who are saying they want to kill us? Yeah. That's the question. So, so what did the rabbi say, rabbi? We to, uh, so let me ask you, here's a question, an extension. Um, you have a battle, and the two sides fight each other, and then there's generally written understandings that if the Red Cross, let's use our side, comes in, that you're not, you're not supposed to fire on them while they remove our soldiers f to fix them up. Why should, the, why should any side abide by that? So you're right. So first of all, there is international conventions, right. there's Geneva conventions, which, and then, which by the way, is the other side usually doesn't abide by it. Yeah, I don't but, but that's where the point is. Yeah, but the point is, I'm not politicizing. I'm saying the, the facts. But the point is that that uh, you're right. War has different rules. War has rules. This is not a question of war. This is terrorists. It's not a war. War might have different rules, even about relatives. There's there's different rules in war, where there are conventions. Uh, Here I'm you just, have a question I, of this, guy, this person is in our society. He's an Israeli citizen, and he's by the way the guy. The first video we showed of the of the car that, you know, with the guy with the meat cleaver. He is an Israeli citizen. Right? He works for the phone company. He used the phone call. He came to work that morning at 8 a.m. I don't know if you read this. This guy was an Israeli citizen, lives in Jerusalem. He came to work that morning at the phone company 
and clocked in, got his list of customers, and then took the company that had a ladder on it. It's a phone company a truck. We're not talking about war. We're talking about these are people who live in Israel, they're citizens of the country, and they're saying they want to kill the rest of the, you know, other citizens. That's different than Geneva Conventions of War. That's many of these are homegrown terrorists. So that's so that's so that's why it's different. But the, but the point is, so there is so the so the rabbi, by the way, the rabbi initially was asked to, said he held that it's, it would be prohibited to treat these terrorists um, if the person is clearly um, there's a chance he's going to get out and saying he's going to do it again. And he's clearly stating that. But um, he asked his father-in-law, who was a very big rabbi in Israel, Yashem, and his father-in-law said, the issue is there's a, there's a concept, which is a fascinating concept in Jewish law. I'll end with this. It's called Eva. That means we have to, even though sometimes it's, it's really a law of self-preservation. You understand we live amongst uh, the world. Um, and therefore, there are many times you have a halacha, there's a Jewish law that says X, but if we, if we keep to that law, there's a chance that that will cause hatred by the nations of the other nations of the world. So we have to take that into account. I actually found with King David here, it says, you look at A, and this is why I quoted it, it says, we have to look at the repercussions of our actions. Okay, so it says, if King David would have killed King Saul, um, someone explains, one of the commentaries there says, gives this as an answer, that being, um, it would have changed Jewish history for thousands of years, meaning it set, setting the tone for assassinations of kings. It says King David would have understood that if he assassinates the king, in the future this could have an effect on his kingship. Right? So we need to look at the repercussions of our actions. So even though, let's say, halachically, this might be prohibited or prohibited, or we have to look at it, how, how is this going to affect us politically, which is important. Right? So meaning if we don't treat terrorists, if we say we're not treating any uh, prisoners of war, or terrorists, because these are people who want to kill us. We're not going to treat them. The repercussions of that is how does that how it could have like we said. Listen, they hate us anyway. They hate it get they any worse, right? Right, right. Yeah. In a certain sense, it can't get any worse. But we don't want to give them ammunition for this to say. Or when we're taken as prisoners, or some one of our prisoners is taken, or they'll say, listen, uh, Jordan could say, or Qatar, or someone. We're not going to treat any Israelis in our hospitals. So you have to. I'm not. Uh, it has to be discussed. I'm not saying. I'm not saying this as a final thing, meaning you have to look at the repercussions and so see how that will affect it. It can't get any worse. How might it possibly get better? I, I thought about it before I said that, David, and what I am thinking is that somebody uh, posted on one of the interesting sites and, and maybe even came from um, uh, Pakistani news, because sometimes I check on them. A child is born in Gaza. And the parents give him the name of the knife. Yes, I posted it on my Facebook. So, um, they named the child Knife of Jerusalem. Baby Sophie, and this child is going to be raised to kill my baby Sophie. So, how can it get better? Uh, the boy whose vision we just fixed is going to be training this knife of Jerusalem to kill my grandchildren. That's, I cannot think of anything other than that because if you start teaching them, from that age, the brain is formed, the uh, stem cell, the neocortex is formed to kill. So, uh, do we have a, like, so what was the final? Um, Which part? No, well, no, no, kind of oh, do we have an allowance to kill or an obligation to kill? So there's two opinions. <laughs> okay. Uh, but right, there seems to be two opinions. But the bottom line is, just, uh, just to recap, because it's been confusing. So no, so so, so just to recap here, because we needed her all the time. Uh, we skipped over the part that when we see somebody chasing a woman, what you what you see, <laughs> yeah, banana peel. Can you do anything what, about it? What you see is only the snapshot. You don't know. By the way, why on they're that being chased. No, by the way, the, the yeah, what's fascinating is, this is very important, the Torah considers, by the way, rape, um, well, the tantamount to murder. So if you see someone chasing someone to rape, the Torah says you're allowed to kill them. Well, I'm sorry, what's... The Torah considers rape, is in a certain sense, tantamount to murder. Therefore, the Torah says, the rape, um, pursuer yeah. to rape someone, also has a din of rodent. That means yeah, that you also, uh, <coughs> I think, no, you, pays for your part. Yeah, I got one. Did you get one? sitting on the counter. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. so the point is, so rape is tantamount about the murder. So you can kill someone it's pursuing someone to rape someone. In Texas law. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And kidnapping. Okay. If you see somebody stuffing somebody else in the trunk, you can use lethal force to stop them. He says rape also, I know that. But the bottom line is, so just, to, just to summarize, if you do, if, depending on your meaning, 
if factually there was a way to neutralize a stabber, what we're saying is um, without killing him, you might be able to do that. But again, the ramifications is if this person, um, based on what's going on now, if this will prevent, is another thing which I didn't mention, will prevent future stabbings by the fact that killing them, maybe, and, and you see today there is, it is quieter this week than last week, so hopefully things are calming down, but it could be. The reason is because they know they're going to get killed. I mean, basically, a guy just takes out his, his toothbrush, he's going to get, now in Israel, um, you're going to get shot. Okay, and, and even if you're Jewish, I mean, there was, there was a case last week where they killed a Jew because he went for a soldier's gun. Um, so, so meaning people are on edge, there's no question. Um, so, if by killing him, this is what I think, this is my opinion, by killing him, it will prevent future stabbings. So then, there's no question you'd be allowed to do that, um, even with the Rama. That's what I would say. Um, but again, if there's a case where there's no question about it, let's say a case not in, where it's not so... Um, not, let's say take not Israel here, where you're chasing someone who's chasing someone else, you're chasing a pursuer, you'd be obligated technically um, to to try to neutralize it in another way if it's possible. If to, but you don't have to take the chance, meaning if there's a yeah, chance yeah. that you can't get him in time, you'd of course allow have to kill him. What about the case of, I mean, if you have the, if you have the opportunity to neutralize without killing, <laughs> but you look, you're in a society where you've got a corrupt justice system, this guy's going to get out, to pay somebody off, whatever, and you can go back to I don't know. It depends on crowd. Let's say like Mexico or somewhere like that. It's a good yeah, question. I mean, you have a drug. Thank, okay, you. thank you. Thank you for okay. coming. It's good Pray to see you. Peace, but should to kill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Stay healthy, everybody. Good to see you. Well, so should the authorities have executed El Chapo? Right. I mean, you know. I mean, you're talking about a corrupt society where this guy could probably pay himself out at some point. That's a good question. Um, uh, that's, I don't know. I can't give the answer. That's a, that's a tough question. It needs more. Uh, certain criteria, yes, you'd probably be allowed. But you have to have to define what's corrupt. And that would be the real question. I mean, what's what's a corrupt system? Many people say America is a corrupt system. In Israel, the question is again: it's a revolving door. They're going to get out of prison. Exchange that. Do you call that? So therefore, I'm allowed to kill the terrorist. I mean, so it's. It's a fine line, I mean, you have to know. But in certain situations, yes, you, you would be allowed. If you know for sure that this person will do harm again, that's where that's where it comes into play. That you would be the criteria. But you can assume. I need your bar number. You need what? Yeah, you know your bar number? Uh, yeah. You know me or you? Yeah, I'm ready. You can just write it next to your name. Kim Steinle. And that guy, they arrested five or six times. The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.